This podcast is brought to you by Rototo. Experience intense space survival action in this mobile retro arcade game. A rotating shield is the only thing standing between the incoming alien horde and your inevitable destruction. How long can you last? Play now on iOS and Android. Welcome to Tentative. The Welcome podcast. Tentative. About... Podcasts about whatever. Is that that's <laughs> what you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool, let's do this. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to Tentative, a show about digital podcast design. <laughs> no, that's wrong, right? Oh, first, all podcasts are digital, so that doesn't make sense. Uh, no, okay, take two. Uh, hello, you're listening to Tentative, a show about uh, digital product design. Uh, I'm your co-host, uh, Reda Lemedin, uh from Stockholm, and with me is Kyle Fiedler from Philly. Hi, Kyle. Hey, Reda. How's it going? How are you? Good. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, I'm still waking up, but you know, you're All helping right. with that. Yeah, it's uh, very sunny in here. Or the weather is really good. Uh, but then again, the weather is something that's probably going to change by the time this episode is going to be out. <laughs> so let's not talk about the weather. <laughs> I, I'm sure that's why people come to listen to our, our podcast, though, is to hear about the weather in Stockholm. Are you guys entering into the sunny season? Uh, yes, I guess. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I like cool. it. Because you have like seasons where it's like dark a lot oh, yeah. more and then sunny a lot. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Now we're, I think the sunset is around seven or eight now. I think it's just gonna get worse <laughs> or better, depending. Probably better. I don't know. By June or July, it's gonna be like sunset around 10 p.m., which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, um, that is kind of crazy. How was Philly, though? Like, is it? We just had a couple cold days, but. We're, we're busting out of those. It's supposed to be in the mid-60s for the rest of the week and, and slightly sunny. But on another note, we, we should probably move on from the weather. What, what shall we talk about then? Uh, Apple Watch? Are you getting one? I still don't know, actually. I might. I, I'm still very conflicted about it. It's a new thing and I'm not, I don't usually wear watches. So maybe I should wait until I see someone using it or go to an Apple store and try it. Are you? I don't think so. I'm conflicted too. Like I've gone back and forth of like, you know, hell yes, I'm getting that. And then hell no, I'm not. I used to wear, before I got an iPhone, I used to wear a like analog watch all the time. Um, Once I got the iPhone, it basically replaced that. Yeah, but but now I'm hoping that the watch will replace the iPhone. It's a weird <laughs> turn of events. <laughs> I don't think it will. Like I, I, so I've turned off all my notifications, so I wouldn't want the watch to get notified, right? I've stopped using my Fitbit, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to use it for that. Like I would essentially be using it as a timepiece, and yeah, if I'm going to spend three hundred and fifty dollars on a watch that is just going to be a timepiece. Would, yeah. it, would it be best spent on another watch? I, I don't know. <laughs> not not the best investment, I would say. Especially if you have to recharge it every night. Uh, if <laughs> you're just going to use it... That kills me. If you're just going to use it for time, then probably you should look elsewhere. One of the things that's that is exciting to me, though, is, is figuring out how to design for that small of a space. 
Yes, yes, that's that's why I'm conflicted because part of me says like, you know, I won't get it as a consumer. I mean, I might not enjoy it that much, but another like like the designer part of me was like, yes, I want to try look at this and see what I can do with it. It's interesting that like there's that that dilemma between you as a user and you as a designer, I guess. Mm. And I think this dilemma affects also uh, a lot of things that we do like when you give feedback, do you give feedback as a user or as a designer uh, when you're trying other people's products or UIs or whatever? I think that totally depends on the context. Um, when people here in ThoughtBot ask for feedback on designs, it, it depends on the context of what kind of design they're looking for feedback on. Is it visual design or is it the user experience? I think other people's products, I'm normally, you know, coming from it from a standpoint of a user. So it's probably of a super user or a, a user with like advanced knowledge of like what they've built. So maybe there is some background there, but it's usually coming from a standpoint of, Hey, I'm a user of this thing. These are things that I wish you would do to make it better. Uh, these are the problems that I'm having. Uh, but within ThoughtBot, I think a lot of us try to come from both the standpoint of uh, designer of, hey, these are design choices that you made that, that may or may not be good. They may or may not be solving the problem. Actually, like, where is the separation there? If, yeah. if it's <laughs> if the design isn't solving the problem, that means it's probably not solving the problem for the user, too. Right. That's that's exactly why I called it a dilemma because I don't think it's as clear cut as if it's visual then I'll I'll wear the designer hat and if it's usability I'll wear like the user hat. It's it's hard for me to to draw that line. Like if something is not achieving the goal it's supposed to achieve then it's a user problem already. So the way I would put it is that I use my designer knowledge to formulate the right questions that a user would normally ask mm -hmm. in a way. So I try to ask good user questions using my desire, like my designer knowledge without making them sound like technical questions. Like why is the line height here this small or this big, but more like, do you think we can fit more content in this area or less or something like that? Yeah. Why is this as important as it is in the design right now? That uh, yeah. Kind of thing. That is interesting too, because like we recently actually launched the podcast and we've gotten feedback, both good and negative about the <laughs> podcast. And that totally strips away, I guess the whole listening to our podcast as an experience, right? But like we've yeah. gotten feedback on how <laughs> the content, I guess, um, what we're talking about and both positive and negative. Have you parsed that feedback any differently than you would? feedback about a iOS or web app that you're building? Yes, I think I think I, I did. Because to me, a podcast, it's not supposed to solve a problem. It's not supposed to... Uh, this is not something you pay for to have some sort of like fun or something. It's not like a movie or a game. It's a format that, uh, that basically allows people to communicate in... Well, sometimes it's a little bit uh, more for like one way, but still like we're, we're very open to discussion and things like that. I mean, we can say it's a two-way communication. Uh, it's a little bit 
um, you know, skewed towards to the listeners, but also, I mean, we can say there's the other way around. But I think uh, ultimately it's a work of, I don't want to say art, uh, but it's, I consider it more, more art than just like design. It involves people and who, like we are who we are and we will talk about the things that we will talk about so if you like i mean if someone does not necessarily enjoy the way we talk about certain things I mean, there isn't much we can do to please everyone uh if we get feedback like technical like the sound is too bad which probably is or something like that <laughs> then that's feedback i process as a product or like like this is technical feedback this is something concrete we can fix how about you? I, no, I totally agree. Like we're basically having a conversation and recording it and there's not, I don't know if there's much that we would want to do differently. And in that case, it is more of a, I guess, art form than a design. But I, I think what what's important though is like what we kind of skipped over is how we each parse through our design feedback. So yeah. when I get feedback from either the designers at ThoughtBot, uh, from the client or from people using the app, a lot of the times what I'll do is, is figure out, okay, they're having an issue. What's the issue? A lot of the times feedback is, is given to me in the form of a solution. Like even with the podcast, people yeah. were already being like, hey, I think you guys were doing this a little wrong. Why don't you do this? which was interesting to me, but like those normally don't get to the root of the problem. And sometimes like they might think they solve the problem that they're having, but it won't actually do the problem justice. So one of the things I do when I first get feedback is like, what's the problem behind this? What, what are the issues that I have? Like recently on one of the designs that I showed a client, they were like the main thing that they wanted people to do didn't have enough focus. And when I revisited the design, I was like, Hey, they're right. But that isn't really the issue. The issue was that there was so much other clutter around the, the item that needed the focus that the hierarchy was thrown off. So what I did instead of putting, adding more emphasis onto uh, the actions that needed taking, I subtracted things, um, which I guess added more emphasis, but it's a different way of approaching the problem that what they were suggesting was, Hey, why don't you make this more, more vibrant, like add a different color, make it bigger. And instead I just took things away. So it was a yeah. different approach. Like for me, it was just processing what the actual problem was before just jumping into a solution. Yeah. And did that work for you? I mean, as far as the client is concerned, yeah, they were a lot happier with that. And I think it achieves the problem. Like it, it solves the user's problem more than adding to the clutter that I already had. Yeah. So I think that well, the, I'll just go ahead and say this. I think giving feedback and taking feedback is probably the hardest part of our jobs. Like hands down. Like I can't think of anything else that's as complicated or as as um because it's it's directly tying to the human factor and that part of what makes it really hard like a lot of people think of tools or like learning programming languages or things like that as being challenging things in what we do but i don't necessarily think that's the case those are very i mean things you spend time 
uh, with and you learn. Whereas feedback, of course, you can learn, you can, you know, you can become better at giving feedback or taking feedback, but it still doesn't take the mysticism out of it. I mean, it's, I try like to have bullet lists or things like that, but still, when, when you're doing it, it's different. Like there's this article I've written a long time ago, I think in 2010, five years ago, about design feedback. And initially it was a very long article with, uh, with two parts. Like the first part was like ta- uh, giving design feedback. And the second part was taking design feedback because I think there's, there are some things that you should be aware of also when you're taking design feedback. It's not always on the person giving the feedback. Uh, and recently I just like merged both articles and made them a, a bullet list because that's easier uh like a very short concise bullet list uh um i can i can link that in the in the show notes yeah uh, and i'm looking at it right now and you know there there are some things that are i think uh, all of us kind of know at this point like avoid adjectives in general bad good awesome meh like all of these adjectives usually should be avoided when giving feedback also, like uh, things like appreciation verbs, like to love, to like, to hate. And then there's ask questions, which I think is the most important. Yeah, I really like feedback in the form of a question. The question I have for you, though, is like one of the things I think it took me a while to get over was separating myself from my work when receiving feedback. Like when I was just starting out in design school and thereafter, like I took any feedback on my work personally or more personally than I do now. Whereas now I feel extremely separated, like from my work in the point that like, if someone says like my work is bad, I don't feel like hurt from that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's just like, because I've gotten negative feedback so much that I'm just I try to take that negative feedback and turn it into something positive or because I've grown as a designer and I feel more confident in what I do. I I think you just grow over it. Like uh, that's like the first item I have in the receiving design feedback in this list I'm looking at. Uh, And it's saying like, so the first item is avoid taking things personally. And I think that's the most important thing when you're receiving feedback and, and the it's reason also the why thing to learn though <laughs> well sure it's like you don't learn it though it's like something <laughs> that it's just um learning to me is something that's uh you do it on purpose like you, you you it's active where this thing is mostly like passive and even if you force yourself to detach yourself from the work that's being criticized it's not going to be that easy it's something you you acquire um i'll, I'll use this this verb you acquire over time and i think the reason why this is hard especially for people people who are just starting out is that they are overly attached to whatever they they produce because that's to them that's how they materialize their work and that's also how they they judge their they they self-judge their work so if you say something negative about their work you're indirectly saying that they are not a good designer because to them the notion of of this is getting a little bit philosophical <laughs> but their their ego like uh, ego sorry their ego is in that work uh and that's the only embodiment of of their self-consciousness as designers so attacking that is directly attacking them Whereas when you 
when you do this for a while, you you know you're above what you produce, and you actually you're aware of how shitty what you what the stuff you produce is most of the time. <laughs> uh, it's like you yeah you're just like aware of n not not shitty in the sense that it's uh, uh, you didn't put enough work in it, but it in the sense that it can always be improved and it can always be be done better in a way. That's one of the reasons that I really enjoy working with digital media is because it can always be improved. It can always be better and constant improvement and iteration is something that I really, really enjoy. One of the things that though, that I feel like we haven't talked about. So we talked about a lot about client and other designer feedback, but uh, one of the main ways that we get feedback on our designs before we launch them or like while they're launched from users and doing usability tests. For me, the first time that I ran one of those, my mind was blown about like how much I should have done and how much I should have done wrong. And I think at that point I was at a like point in my design career that, that I took it all constructively. But for me, those are usually the best places for criticism and those are the people that aren't trained in giving feedback. Yeah. Right. So we do like when we start off usability tests, usually a lot of the times I'll ask them to, to phrase everything in a form of question because that's, it becomes hard for them to like then propose solutions. Yeah. But do you have any like other tricks, like while you're doing usability interviews, uh, usability tests, how, how do you deal with user feedback and, and parsing through that and figuring out what, what it is you should change about your designs or the experience. Yeah. The way I see it is user feedback in general, like be it uh, during usability tests or after the product launches should be taken with a diff very different approach uh, in the sense that well, first, very few of it is something that's of substance. Like a lot of it is noise uh, in the sense that it's noise in the sense that it's it could be just one problem and you get seven different like complaints that are that sound different when you look at them but when you once you distill them you just realize that it's there's one problem in all of these and some of them are not not problems some of some of them are feature requests so again whenever whenever i receive user feedback i take it with a grain of salt in the sense that i have to sit back go through it try to find the real problems from the non-problems and once you find the real problems then you also have to like select the ones that you think uh, have higher priority depending on how many people are dealing with them and once you have those problems then you have to start thinking about solutions so the, it goes through several layers of um, filtering yeah there's certainly a refinement process to that like i feel like even when people do ask for feature requests they're, they're asking for those because they have a problem that needs to be solved and they're solving it. They're trying to solve it themselves. And again, you have to like dig back into, okay, why are you asking for this feature? What are the issues? And then on top of that, what, what you were saying is like, okay, is that a problem that this app should actually solve? So there's multiple levels of what is this problem? Like, why are you having this problem? is this problem something that's worth solving in our application or should it be solved by something else? Yeah. 
I find this part really hard though, because to users, they don't know your product or at least they don't know the vision you have for the product. So to them, any problem that's related to, to whatever your product is doing could be something that your product should solve. And it's up to you to figure out which one of this feedback will end up uh, being actually turned into features and which, which stuff will not. And then we'll like get into the topic of like feature creep and all of that. So it's kind of, I find that a little bit challenging in the sense of it's hard to tell users, no, we're not doing this. We will never do it. Don't ask about it anyway. I mean, I, in, in a way it feels to me like it's contradictory to the user driven approach of designing products. Like at the same time, you want to listen to your users, but, it, but it, like, and you want also to make sure that you don't listen to all your users at the same time because otherwise it will have this weird like crazy like uh applications with hundreds of features so I, I don't know how do you view this specific part of the problem i would so never say never <laughs> i think it's totally valid to tell someone hey that is a totally valid problem that you're having but that's not something that we're going to solve right now uh we might solve it down the road we might not but as of right now, it's not in our plans. I, I think through our internal apps, like I've, I've, I know I've sent lots of emails, uh, support emails of being like, that's not something that we're going to do right now. You know, thanks so much for the yeah. suggestion. Um, best of luck kind of thing. But if you keep getting it a lot, would you at some point think maybe we are actually doing it wrong? If everyone wants this feature, then maybe we should actually have it. And this is where like you would have like different styles of product designer or, or man, like uh, management in general, like some, some product designers might actually, you know, end up adding popular features, even if they were against it at first and some more stubborn designers would probably would never add that. I've never met Steve Jobs, but from where I know through media and he'd probably be the type to just say no, uh, regardless of how many people but he was uh, still one. wrong. Yes. <laughs> like he's well, he's celebrated for like he's had amazing success, but he was he still had failures. Like the Newton, like yeah. maybe it was before sure. his time, but like that was a product that he helped build, right? Well, well, no, the Newton was, was I think when developed he when he was away. Uh, okay. But I would say I would the example I would give is like the iPhone six is selling like. Uh, hotcakes, <laughs> even mm. though I, like Steve He's was was really opposed to large screens, and he was like, "No, we don't need large screens. No one wants large screens. Everyone wanted large screens," and he just like you know <laughs> I, he, that that couldn't happen while he was there. Maybe actually he would have changed his mind by now if he was still alive. I mean, I don't know, but uh, the balance is basically your product vision versus your customer's product vision. And at, at which point you should actually make one way more than the other. That to me is like a particular case for research. Like, are you getting feedback from, maybe it's a lot of people, but it's still just a vocal minority of people that are using your product. And if that's the case, then no, I would not. If it's, you know, a hundred people and 75 of them are asking for this feature, then I would hope that people would consider that. Um, I, I, I go, I approach it like we approach like a lot of things at ThoughtBot, which is like, have your strong opinions, but hold them loosely. Like, so Chad says, uh, we have strong opinions loosely held. 
Uh, I think that's the way that we should approach product design of we should have these strong opinions. And until someone convinces me otherwise, like I'm going to have that strong opinion, but I still have the ability to be convinced through rational thinking of, Hey, 75% of my customers right now are asking for this one thing. Maybe there's something there. <laughs> there's probably yeah. something there, right? Yeah. That ability to realize that you're wrong and move away from that. like what you were but, thinking, your opinion before. But I think the using the the word wrong is actually wrong. <laughs> uh, like there's no wrong or right. It's just how you how you view the the product. Like someone might think of it. So I'll give you a concrete example. Like we recently launched like Sasquatch, which is a SaaS previewer for OS 10, and the most feedback of we've got so far is people asking about the editor like they want to be able to write css in the app and this is fundamentally different from what i had in mind when i thought of this i was thinking in a sense of like we're not building a text editor that's really hard we will not we will not get it right and it might actually end up pleasing a number of people, but it might also end up frustrating a number of other people. And more, more importantly, it's, it's going to end up frustrating me, who actually is supposed to be building the product. And I'm not sure I can build a product that frustrates me. So this is like where it gets a little bit tricky, is when you get a lot of demand for some feature that would take the product in a very different direction from what you had imagined in the beginning. So like in this specific example, my thinking is that people like have their have spent a lot of time customizing their editors, their text editors, and I want people to use that instead of building a half-baked uh, editor in inside the app. And I mean, technically, it's feasible; we can do it, but it's it's just a mess because if I create an editor, I have to create you know uh, uh, ability to change the like font size, color themes, and then some people might use Vim, so you might need to add some Vim key binders. It's just not the way. It's, I don't think it's the priority. So let me ask you this: Is is the feedback you're getting from a majority of your users? Is it most of the people that are using it? that are being like, hey, I want my text editor and inside of Sasquatch or- You mean in terms of percentage or- Yeah, because like, again, I think there, there's points at which like people that have problems with it, may, maybe those people aren't, aren't your demographic. Like maybe you're not supposed to solve their problem, but there's a bunch of people that are already happy with Sasquatch. They're using it and they're just not speaking up because it's working it's for fine, them, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's a good point because I don't think that it's a majority of people. I think uh, we got around what five, six people asking for this feature, and that's probably the only feedback I got. So the, the idea is like <laughs> you're right. It's they were the only vocal people. But when I look at six emails and all of them, they mentioned this feature. I feel like, and obviously, we sold a lot more than six. So <laughs> it's. I think you 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 said it earlier it's probably a vocal minority, but the way you perceive it as a designer is that it's the majority because that's 100% of the feedback. I think confusing feedback percentage with user base percentage is the problem or the error or like the mistake I'm doing here. It's like 100% of feedback doesn't mean 100% of the user base. Right. So for me, that is 
the biggest thing when looking at feedback from from users is like is their concern valid like that's one of the first things i look at is like okay you've you've received this feedback from people that hey i want my editor inside a sas watch does that align with my product vision no okay how many people is this coming from like Am, am I in the minority where I want my editor separate from Sasquatch or am I in the majority with people? And it goes back to like, okay, you've got six people out of however many people downloaded and bought the app. You're probably still in the majority there, right? So yeah. to listen to the feedback and build the editor, you'd probably be putting a bunch of features in. Like you said, like there's there's a billion features like that you could put in for a text editor for SAS. Yeah. And you could would be going down the wrong rabbit hole uh, because you listen to six people who were the vocal ones instead of continuing with your product vision and adapting the product to the majority. Yeah. There's actually one thing that uh, while we were working on this, I had to deal with, which was, uh, so in this project, initially, the first time when I started it, uh, I was working with another designer at ThoughtBot. And there were some ideas that are actually along these lines of adding like an editor pane. And we kind of like started that path. So the app, when it launched, had a, you can see the SAS, but you can't edit it. And a lot of people mis mistook that for an editor. The problem that I had is that uh, I, was, I was trying to work with another designer. And sometimes this gets a little bit tricky, especially when it comes to product vision. Because if each one is pulling it in a different direction, you will end up with something that's not coherent and that will ultimately confuse users. And that was exactly the case for Sasquatch. It's like bes beside the people who were, so maybe they were the same people. Like actually some of them, it wasn't even a feature request. Some of them is like, hey, there's a bug in your app. I can't edit the code in the SAS pane. And uh, I was, I was, my reply is like, yes, that's not, we were not mentioning it anywhere in the landing page or in the anywhere it's not mentioned that you can edit so basically we gave an affordance to a non-existent feature and now i i proceeded to take away the sas window altogether so like you can't see sas anymore uh, just to avoid because you can't you can't have an affordance and no feature behind it and that sort of works but what i want to talk about here is when you're working with another designer and you feed off each other's feedback how do you deal with that? I think you were one of the first designers I worked with on the same project at ThoughtBot. I guess that was a good experience, at least uh, from my perspective. It could have been total crap from yours. <laughs> but how do you deal with that when you work with other designers and there's like this, not, not, I wouldn't say tension, but different opinions about something. It's not entirely related to feedback, but sometimes it is like, you can't like uh, you know you can't separate feedback from the process of developing the product as designers i mean so i think in every case there needs to be like i thought about we're adverse to hierarchy but in some case there needs to be someone that has final say right so with designers i think one of the reasons that that we worked really well together was because i was on the project before you and i took more of the lead design role right yeah and we were able to kind of break off and I was able to show you what I was doing and be able to be like, this is where I need the most help. And we kind of, I feel like we worked really well together. Whereas like, if I started going in a wrong direction, you'd be like, Hey, Kyle, 
that's the wrong direction and be able to explain it to me of like why it was. And then I was able to do it with you as well. Like I I felt like we had a good back and forth and eventually we, we usually agreed on everything, right? Yeah. Most of the time. I mean, a lot of the time it might be like who the designers are, but I, I think again, like, I don't know if there was ever a point when we were working on that project that I was ever like, I think we should do it this way. You were, and you said, I think we should do it this way. And we never came to a joint conclusion. So I think it was because the client had a vision and we were following the client's vision. True. I mean, in a way, that's what unified us, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure if that's always something you can do if you're doing something from scratch or something that's totally... No, but I mean, we're, we're kind of going back to there's that single point of someone has that strong vision and they're, they're willing to say that is not along with the product vision. That's, that's not solving a problem that, that we have versus being almost like a free for all of like different people having different visions for the product or trying to solve a product in different ways. So, so another thing, another thing that was actually very unique to that project is that the thing usually designers fight about most were already de- like decided. And the things being colors and fonts and things like that, branding in general. And I think the way I remember it, like we were in a good place when it comes to these things, like uh, the color palette, the fonts more or less. Yes, like give or take, uh, you know, you can use this sense or this other sense. But I think the problem might arise if it's something that's non-existent and you have nothing to build uh, off of. Like you're doing the branding, choosing the color palette. And I think these are the things that usually tend to be a little bit hard to give feedback. Like sometimes they can't be quantified. Some things can't be quantified. I can't find a good argument for some of my feedback. So it, it tends to be tricky when it comes to these more like visual design or that sort of stuff. Don't you think this is something that usually affects the way projects go in, in I think in the it's early just stages? harder for people to talk about. Like there, there's, there's still a language around that and, and people do that. One of the reasons we might not be as good is because we're not a branding agency. We're product design company right so yeah a lot of that is branding and since we're not doing that type of work day in and day out it's not as easy for us to talk about but i still i still think that we can talk about it and it's not just like what's the difference between this and this oh oh, i just like that one more you know like we can say okay the color there is better for the audience or you know the Blue is great because it's a bunch of business people and they like this dark blue color, right? Or yeah, uh, yeah. it's I'm gonna just do a bunch of stereotypes into yeah, color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I get, <laughs> I get, I get the idea. But sometimes it's still like even with these things, like sometimes you can use the green, like you can use green or blue, and yes, you can find like you know uh, ways to justify this or that. But I think ultimately there is a good amount of subjectivity or even like, you know, like there's so many colors, even like green and blue, uh, you can end, end up with thousands of greens and blues. And it's really hard to defend this hue of blue and not this one, especially if they're really close. And sometimes designers tend to be that picky. So 
Yes, it could be like this hue of blue is not something I I think it's <laughs> visually pleasing or you know. And I usually, so the thing is, I I stopped giving feedback about these things if as long as they are accessible and usable. I think I I stop trying to give feedback about these things because I think it's a topic that's a little bit less easy to talk about in some contexts. So unless it's your product, it's really hard to decide about some of these things. And even less if if it's you're just giving feedback, you're not very familiar with the project and you don't know like much about like the thinking that went behind picking this color or that color. I think this is actually the hardest, uh, not the hardest, everything is hard, but uh, how do you think of giving feedback to non-designers, or techni- like non-technically inclined people? And I'm, uh, just to give you an example, a client would come with their existing designs or send me some mocks and ask me to give them feedback. And I think I've been doing this a lot recently where I'm giving feedback to clients uh, or to their teams a lot more than before. And I, I'm discovering new things as I'm doing this. So one problem I had, which you might be aware of, is that I, I tend to not sugarcoat a lot my feedback. Like I try to ask questions and things like that, but I, when something is downright wrong, I actually point that as a fact. Like, so I would still put it as a question. Like, why is there so much space around this paragraph? Uh, and I would use so much because it's clearly, too much space and some clients or some designers who are from other companies might not enjoy that and that sometimes creates some frictions have you dealt with this or do you have any <laughs> thoughts about this i've dealt with that a lot through the design for developers course that i used to take or used to teach so in that course there were a lot of like they're they're developers and they're looking to refine their design taste and basically I would be giving them feedback throughout the entire course. So I think we had talked about this a little while ago when, when you were having an issue with a particular client, but my, my advice to you was first to like try doing it face to face, right? Cause you have more of a human connection as opposed to like giving feedback in a text box and receiving feedback in a text box. I feel like as designers, we need to like grow up to that point. And we kind of talked about that earlier about why. So getting feedback in person, I think one of the things that I've done in the past with people is asking them first what they think can be improved. And that sets them up for what you talked about before, which is like, nothing's ever perfect. There's always something that can be improved, right? So like where... If you ask me about a design of like that I'm currently doing, I'll never say, oh, I'm done. Like this is perfect. I'm just going to walk away from design now because I created the perfect thing. No, it's like if we're talking about one of my designs, what can I approve? I, I automatically go, I probably have like five to 10 things of like these icons aren't working here. The column structure is like slightly off. Like I, I automatically know that there, there are ways to improve my design. And so... Asking that question up front, it's a good indicator of if they're starting to think about that, but like to get them to start thinking about that, to make sure that they don't hand you this thing and think that it is perfect. Yeah. Do you get good results from uh, that question? Like, I I think so. Does it always work? It has worked for me. I like doing 
like design critiques in person. I've done this with a couple clients where we've printed their designs out on 11 by 17. So we've blown up the designs, thrown them all up on the wall and the entire team, including whoever designed it will critique like what is good, what is bad and what needs to change. And we, we go through a couple iterations of that. Um, and I found that to be really good, especially with the designer in the room to see the feedback that they're getting, especially when it's not one-on-one, it's not you just doing it to another designer where it could seem like, Oh, that, that guy just doesn't like me. Like, Oh, Rada, like he's, he's said my design like has too much space. He doesn't know anything. He's just mad that, that I'm a better designer than him. Uh, they can't they can't do that if like it's me. What, what, me. What? Are, are you, you're saying you're a better designer than me? Sorry, I was I was dozing off. Uh, that that doesn't make sense. I'm a better designer. Sorry to cut you. Go ahead. Ah <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. You totally ruined my track of thought. My whole monologue yeah, is done. I, you're <laughs> so fragile. Like you lose your thoughts so easily. Like. Uh, you were saying that a, a person might think that I, you are just saying that there is too much space because you think you're a better designer than yeah, them. Yeah, so like they're they're taking it personally, and when it's a group of people trying to be constructive, they don't take it nearly as personally. Like one of the reasons yeah. that I really enjoy our design sprint process is because, well, first of all, because they're all a bunch of ideas and everyone's throwing them out, and no one's being like overly sentimental about them so the idea that we're churning out more than just one perfect design is really great and then the fact that everybody is critiquing everybody else's work like if we did design sprints and only the uh, product manager the client went around and critiqued the work like it wouldn't nearly have had like, like the same impact potentially like all of our designers would become really pissed off and Maybe some of the clients would too. Like it's not a good process, but having more people critique the work, the better in my eyes. Yeah, I think that's a good trick. I guess <laughs> is to get more people to to say that there is too much space, <laughs> so that it's no longer uh, like yeah, just these people are. I mean, it's not like that. This specific person doesn't know what she's talking about. Um, yeah. You're right. Like uh, speaking in person usually solves this sort of problems. Uh, Alas, we can't do it all the time. <laughs> like some of our projects are remote or the client is not available. So you'll have to use uh, technology to communicate. And I tried the trick of uh, asking what, what should be improved. And sometimes they, the answers are disappointing. Like they're focusing on the wrong thing. And I think there need to be like a split, like a, a break. Like we have to take a step back and talk about this because I think you are looking at the wrong problems. Like you see what I mean? Like uh, someone who doesn't, who is not very trained in the practice of design might actually be looking at, I don't like this font or yeah, this logo is not big enough. But when you look at it, like this page or like this view is a mess because I don't know where to look or where it's it's no longer discussing things like padding or it's more like where are we trying to go here and some people get too stuck on those details when you're trying to have a larger discussion but this is actually I think this could be tied to other things like project planning on on which phase of the project you land 
like there are different scenarios. Uh, sometimes you, the project is already there and you, are, you, you, you jump on it to improve it or to add some new features or sometimes you get some design that's already prepared as mockups and you have to implement some of it. So yeah, there are different scenarios and some techniques work. And again, the problem is that it's people and what works with this person might not work with a different person. So that's what it makes like this really complicated. Mm -hmm. Some t some tricks might work for a majority of people, but you might end up with someone who is too attached to their design or, you know, different different situations, different people. I guess there's still some room for improvisation and just being a decent human, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree that, that everyone, like you can treat feedback that you give me totally different than you can treat feedback that you are giving a design student pulling out their first website design, you know? So yeah. it's it's totally a people problem. Yeah. I think we should talk about design sprints at some point. Sure. Uh, we could say that for next episode. <laughs> no, not today. Yeah, of course. We talked about them in the episode number two about game design. You know, we keep talking about them every... Uh, once in a while but there are some things i want to talk about when it comes to design sprints mostly some quibbles i have with the current process of the design sprint okay uh well maybe yeah let's that, talk about that next, next time. time maybe cool yeah uh well thank you everyone for listening uh you can catch our show notes at tentative.fm slash four you can email us reach out to us at hosts at tentative.fm or on twitter at at tentative fm are we what yeah underscore fm <laughs> underscore fm or i'm not sure if there's an underscore but you can find it on the show page yep i i don't think i used an underscore because i hate underscores <laughs> good i do too oh also i was just going to mention that if people enjoy the show please uh go rate it on itunes five stars <laughs> thank you if you don't like it don't rate it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh yeah we would like to thank tom oh yeah our, uh, Producer. Yep. Big thanks to Tom, who makes us actually sound halfway decent. Yep, absolutely. Cool. <laughs> well, all right. Bye. See you later. <laughs>